The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You're listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Get caught up on this week's top stories from The Hash Crew. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Monday's top story. Binance is being sued by the CFTC over the willful evasion of U.S. laws. Pretty big bombshell dropped on Binance this morning. Bitcoin's price tanked precipitously, about $1,000 after the news broke. And this potentially has some ramifications. CFTC is alleging that Binance urged U.S. users to use a VPN to access Binance.com services when otherwise they should have been prevented from doing so, among other allegations. This, I guess, continues a trend of regulatory crackdown ramping up in these recent months. And certainly there's been a big target on Binance's back. So to see this action out of the CFTC, it's not necessarily unexpected, but is certainly a big action that has been taken by U.S. regulators. I got to toss this one straight to Jen. Jen, what do you think of this one? Well, it's so funny in this industry how we just get little puzzle pieces that start painting a picture for us as the days go on. As I was reading this, I was reflecting on the CNBC story we spoke about last week, where they said that according to a bunch of different chat rooms and messaging services, finance employees were helping people do the same thing in China and a few other countries. I can imagine that the CFTC is probably going to cite some similar sources or similar information as we see this case unfold. And if Binance employees are in fact showing people how to subvert their KYC and AML restrictions, I don't think that that is going to go well for the largest exchange out there. I think that this is a really tight time for regulatory action. And it seems like every day we're getting another big regulatory storm. And so I think, you know, that CNBC article, we're going to see some of those details come out over the next weeks and months. Well, Yeah, this is a pretty interesting piece this morning. So CFTC is going after Binance and, of course, CZ. There's a few different points within this complaint that we should definitely take a look at. And one of them is the fact that CZ has essentially been the headquarters for Binance. They bring that up. That's kind of been a longstanding joke within crypto that wherever Binance is or wherever CZ is, that's where Binance is located. And in the complaint, you see that they talk about Tokyo, talk about Malta, talk about so many different jurisdictions. And Binance was doing that according to documents included within this complaint 
because they wanted to jump from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and not be liable to any jurisdiction's different laws. There's some other facts in here that are also pretty interesting, talking about Binance funneling or facilitating is maybe a better word, the use of funds for terror groups like Hamas. And they talk about the cost of an AK-47. AK-47 is not that expensive. So like, why would they chop down on it? They said another part of this documentation that it's for business reasons that they're going to close two eyes to things that don't look good for regulators. And you know, I do have some thoughts about that. They're like a little bit more pro-Binance. But when you do see it on paper and you see terror groups linked to this, you see some other stuff that's not so tasteful with this document, you start to look at it and be like, ooh, this is not great for Binance. The other thing that's worth bringing up is the fact that they were trying to geo-restrict so many US users of Binance from using Binance itself. They started rolling that out in about 2019. I myself was actually kicked off Binance around that time. But it doesn't seem like everybody was able to be kicked off, including some VIP customers. And there seems to be like some shell games around those VIP customers that the CFTC is complaining about. Zach, can I throw this one back into your ball court? Any thoughts on Hamas stuff or Americans being able to use Binance or anything substantive in the CFTC case? Yeah, there's a lot here. And this is the playbook, I think, for US enforcement agencies to go after overseas firms, right? You talk about sort of expanding that regulatory perimeter such that the US can allege that all companies should be under US jurisdiction by way of the technologies that grant US citizens access to these platforms that aren't otherwise easily accessible to them, right? So I think this is that bombshell that we've been expecting for some time now, right? You would see dribs and drabs of updates being reported on this case through sources, mostly unnamed. And you see a lot of cries of FUD from the crypto faithful saying, oh, there's nothing new here. We all knew this is happening, blah, 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 blah. Well, this really is the one. This is the big shoe to drop. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens, how Binance handles this, if they go public in their fight against these charges, the way Coinbase has had with its suit from the SEC. I don't know if CZ has a big leg to stand on to say, hey, we're fighting this thing. But I would imagine that that would probably be their tack here after you know being hit with this complaint. You know, complaints are always written in the most damning terms, right? They lay out the government's best possible case. They're compiled after months and months of research and are meant to tell a story and to paint a picture that Binance has been, again, willfully evading US laws and regulations. It's going to be interesting to see what Binance's story is and whether or not, you know, their quote unquote, you know, good faith efforts to block US users, whether they should be held to account that people have ultimately been using them through VPNs and other ways. And I think that's why sort of the details here about, you know, the chief compliance officer sort of alluding to the fact that they're encouraging people from the US to access the Binance.com platform is so front and center in the article and in the complaint itself. So that to me is, again, this playbook that we'll probably see for other offshore platforms falling into the regulatory purview of US authorities. And that's potentially something that's really a challenge for crypto firms going forward. There's a lot to be said for, again, this regulatory clampdown, crackdown, you name it, really going global, led by US regulators. Will? Yeah, one thing I do want to bring up here is maybe some like sympathy for Binance here, like going back to 2017, 2018, 2019, where they really started to build their company, right? It's very hard to build in the space. And oftentimes you want to go to the most liquid, well capitalized places. And for crypto, that's off the United States or Western Europe, where you want to start like bootstrapping. And so that's why a lot of these companies do have some sort of presence in the US, even if they don't want to register with the CFTC or SEC. And being a crypto native, more person, I kind of have some sympathy with that. That being the case, though, there are laws in the US and you must abide by them. Otherwise, you can't operate here. And that's why the CFTC is going after them. 
This does make me ask some questions, though, however, about like who is being put within the U.S. borders and who is outside the U.S. borders. We saw that SEC case last week talking about how only one person was designated in this Tron TRX case, having used Tron in the United States, and now it was in the SEC's purview. Is that the case with the CFTC? It's hard to tell. It's also hard to tell like what is the timeline for all this, right? Did it happen three years ago? Now the CFTC is bringing it up? Or did it just happen recently? Now they're bringing it up. Hard to tell. Tuesday's Top Story. Listeners, yesterday heard the Hash team discuss this major new lawsuit against Binance by the CFTC claiming a wide variety of things. We got a response from Binance under CZ's byline today. Right off the bat, I will say it is not a very convincing rebuttal of the CFTC's claims. And the pull quote that we put in our headline here kind of sums it up, where he says that it is an incomplete listing of facts, which when the facts are the various evasions that you've done against the law and you're saying they didn't get all of them, not necessarily a great way to put your rebuttal. And there are a few other nuances here where Binance does something that it has done before, trying to slightly misdirect, in my opinion rather than rebut. And so, you know, not inspiring confidence on that front. We did also have the head of the CFTC appearing on CNBC this morning, saying basically what they had said in their press release yesterday, that there was clear evidence of attempts to evade criminal controls. And having read parts of the 50 plus page suit, that certainly seems to be the case. And I will point out one last thing, and then we'll discuss. CZ also took to Twitter to post his famous four in response to the CFTC charges, that is FUD, right? And he may not have figured this out yet, but he will eventually figure out you can't just call a 50-page charging document FUD and have that make it go away. So I don't know if the strategy is playing out very well so far here, but what are your thoughts, Will and Wendy? I kind of want to say that this is a nothing burger. And the reason why is, I'm not saying that CZ is innocent. I'm not saying that Binance is innocent. All that I'm saying is, Being a retail investor, watching all the predatory practices of these three, four-letter agencies, the way the government's acting, the way our public servants are acting towards crypto, it doesn't really make me confident in them pursuing charges against any of these companies. That's not saying that these companies didn't do anything wrong, but I'm starting to really, really lose faith in our public servants and our judicial system here. Also to CZ and Binance, they've operated, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was summer of 2020 you were not allowed to trade on Binance anymore if you were a US citizen. They literally blocked people. So they got the notice from the public servants said, you know, Americans can't trade here because you're offering these types of products that we only offer to super rich people, which are the accredited investors. So you can't trade here anymore. And you were forced to use a Binance US account or trade elsewhere. I was one of those people. I used to use Binance. So they did comply with laws and regulations. Then we have their crime department that has also been complying with the CFTC from what I've heard. And I think at this point, what's going to happen is they can go after CZ and Binance all that they want. But what's really going to happen? Are they going to arrest him or are they just going to pay a fine? I personally think that they're probably just going to pay a fine and settle because they're not even operating in the US and they don't even want to operate in the US. The only body that they want to have in the US is Binance US, which follows the current guidelines that are given to us by the public servants. However, we still don't have clarity from the SEC. What is the security and what is it? And now we're seeing the CFTC and the SEC fight over this case because they're indicating that Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin are commodities, which is contrary to what the SEC said. I think you summed this whole story up really well, Wendy, which is that it's a whole hot mess of confusion. What's going on here? So CFTC is involved talking about commodities, 
SEC is on the other side of this, talking about securities. The CFTC is alleging that Binance broke rules going back to the founding of Binance, so 2017, 2018. Binance is coming back and saying, like, we implemented a lot of these policies after in 2020 and 2019, and we did boot US users. Where that falls in terms of like being liable for letting people use your platform for a little bit, I'm not quite sure. I'm not a lawyer. I wish Jen was on the show today. She might be able to give us some guidance on that fact. But I think Binance does have like a little bit of pushback there, saying that you know they did try to abide by US laws. That being said, there are some absolute gems within this document that we really have to look at. For one, do you guys remember that infamous group chat called Wire Fraud that SBF had with a few other colleagues at FTX? Well, there's one that's even better in this case, and that is Re Hamas. They had a group chat called Hamas talking about different transactions that occurred on Binance that were going to people connected with the terror group Hamas. I think that tops the wire fraud group chat that we saw with FTX. There's some other Mm. stuff in here talking about their compliance officer who stepped down in 2022 and how they didn't really have compliance. And he put that in text, how the .com, Binance.com version did not have compliance for quite a while that anyone could log in and use the platform. Those are the things you just don't put in text if you're an executive. You don't admit to the fact that they have that. The last thing I'll point out is they seem to have copied or somehow got access to CZ's phone. There's a lot of private text messages, including stuff from Signal, that are included in these documents. So people are scratching their heads wondering, like, how did they get access to CZ's mm. phone records? That is a lot of leverage in the case, at the very least, and may present some problems for CZ going into the future. To be clear, I don't think anything in these documents rises to the level of what we've been talking about with FTX or Doquan or these outright frauds, right? And I think that if Binance has a leg to stand on in the most serious cases here, it's going to be that maybe you had a few rogue individuals texting about these attempts to evade regional controls. I mean, it's a little bit harder because CZ seems to be involved in some of those conversations. I do want to just point out one last thing on all of this in the response that they posted today which I think represents some problems with Binance's communication strategy that we've seen before, which is they point out in the charges that there were a lot of accounts trading against users that were controlled by CZ. In the rebuttal published today, Binance says Binance US or Binance.com didn't control these accounts. That wasn't the original charge. They're evading. They're specifically rebutting something that wasn't claimed in the original documents. You know, that might be good to cater to their audience to get the people on Twitter going four, 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 four. Oh, this is all fake. I mean, and that does seem to be their strategy is to play to the plebs, let's be real. But that's not really who you need to be playing to here. And you're not doing yourself any favors by doing that kind of evasion. Wednesday's top story. This comes from the Financial Times, who published a report saying that Binance hid extensive links to China for several years. According to documentation, the Financial Times says that Chief Executive Sheng Peng Zhao, also referred to as CZ, and other seniors at the company repeatedly told Binance employees to hide the company's Chinese presence. This included hiding a potential office in Shanghai, and also the fact that there were some banks being used to pay those employees. Now, of course, I think people on this show might say like, well, you know, that's pretty typical. A lot of crypto companies are hiding their location. So why does this matter that much? I think it really matters because right now there's a CFTC case against Binance. And if Binance has been lying about its positioning in China, well, then what's stopping them from lying about being in the U.S.? The CFTC is saying that Binance has been operating in the U.S. through a few different means and ends. And so I think that this report, Financial Times, 
sort of speaks to the shadowy nature of Binance. Staining, I throw this one over to you, get your take on it. Yeah, you know, there's a saying in journalism, it's not the crime that gets you, it's the cover-up. And right now we're seeing, once again, Binance falling into the hiding mode. They have some information that, for whatever reason, they've decided it'd be better to conceal from the public. And that's the fact that really stands out to me. It's not of what they were doing, but it's the extent to which they tried to keep that reality from just the general understanding of the situation. You know, with, when it comes to Binance in China, time and again, we are seeing how Binance is taking steps to hide its presence, even with its users. There was a report in CNBC a couple of days ago about how Binance employees or angels, as they call them, were coaching people in China on how to use a VPN to sidestep Binance's block in China. So, you know, at every level, we're just seeing a whole lot of interplay between Binance and a China jurisdiction that they say they don't operate in or are from. Yeah, Danny, I thought about that CNBC article as I was reading this one too. I believe the CFTC case is about Binance enabling American users to use VPNs to kind of sidestep some of the AML and KYC processes that they have in place. And I can just see U.S. regulators referencing this Financial Times article, referencing the CNBC article as they try to clamp down on Binance. When I'm reading this, though, I think about the transparent nature that our industry is supposed to have. And these people who we've propped up, who have become these like proclaimers of the transparency, and we see them time and time again, you know, sidestepping, not being transparent, kind of implementing these very opaque processes. And I wonder if that is a result of them actually trying to be deceitful or a result of really heavy regulation right? There's this future that we're all building towards who work in this industry. And unfortunately, the regulation and a lot of what the regulators are saying doesn't get us to that place. And I wonder if the information that's coming out about Binance and some other exchanges is actually deceitful or is a result of regulation that doesn't actually work for the industry. Well, yeah, I think you bring up a great point. And that's an on-chain nature of crypto is very transparent, right? I can see where this transaction went. I can see where it's probably going to go. You find all the information around it, what time it was sent, how much, probably know the entities involved. I really know how to do things. The business side in crypto is very different, right? We have companies that hop from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. In Binance's case, basically wherever CZ was, was the head of the company. That's where Binance is. That's how they disclose it in the CFTC documentation. And that's for practical reasons. A lot of these companies are being slapped down on. There's a lot of regulators who don't want to see crypto come into blossom. There's a lot of firms out there that are competitors, right? The entire banking industry is a competitor to crypto. So there's going to be pushback. And I think that's why you see so many companies time and time again, they talk about the transparency, but in actuality, they can't be transparent because their business would probably die and crumble if they were transparent. It's very easy to squash down on something if you know where it is. If you're hopping around all over the place, pretty hard to kill it. So I think that's sort of the rationale for it. Daniel, throw it back over to you. I'm just curious as to how Binance really survives these punches. They just keep coming. Like if I'm Binance, I'm systemically important to all of crypto. And I guess that's something that we as an industry need to think more carefully about. Binance is the exchange that processes by far the most traded volume of the entire ecosystem. They are so important. And there's so much that is becoming clear that we don't know about Binance, some of which it seems because Binance is hiding it from us. So. 
I don't want to allege any wrongdoing here, but I will say as a journalist, we're always looking for transparency and for companies to be straightforward with what they're putting out into the public. And I think it's fair to say that Binance is at the very least not living up to that specifically. Yeah, some of the messages that were published in this article don't look so hot for Binance too. I think if you're trying to not be so transparent, you're trying to hide some things, you don't publish messages like this. One of them said, please do not confirm any offices anywhere else, including China. It just feels so like counterintuitive if you're trying to hide something that you would publish messages like these on any platform, especially when you work in this industry, Will. Yeah, one thing we can draw back on based on Danny's comments is like Bitcoin is sort of operating in a weird place right now based on what's happening with all the squeezes in the ecosystem. Binance being, of course, one of those squeezes. Right now, Bitcoin is like broke above $20,000 once again. We're seeing a lot of price volatility. And the reason for that is because there's not a lot of liquidity out there in the markets. There's a nice research piece from Kaiko. It's actually published on Coindesk. Go check it out in the op-ed section. Talking about how there hasn't been a lot of places to trade crypto right now. And then there's a lot of market makers who are leaving the space or finding different things to trade. And that's leading to price volatility. We're seeing that in the price of Bitcoin right now. And for Binance, which has such a central place in the ecosystem, the more it gets squeezed and the more it has to change its business practices, I think the more we see price volatility with Bitcoin. So a little bit of a market angle there. Thursday's top story. Tether, the original collateralized stablecoin that's long cause for concern for crypto market observers, is the big winner so far in the 2023 monetary policy-induced banking crisis. Over the last few years, we've seen that top stablecoin's market share shrink as U.S.-regulated USDC, a seemingly more reliable U.S.-based and regulated dollar peg stablecoin, has been on the rise. But all that's changed now. After billions of dollars worth of USDC's collateral was caught up in the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. With all those depositors bailed out, including USDC, there's no longer really any concerns about solvency at the second largest stablecoin, and yet the damage seems to have been done. USDC saw some $10 billion worth of outflows as nervous traders swap their tokens for cash, or you guessed it, Tether tokens. <laughs> Based on current numbers, Tether dollars now account for some 60% of the entire stablecoin market. Well, we've been talking about stablecoins over the last few years, and this isn't a headline that I think that we would have expected to see if we were talking you know, at the end of last year. What's your read on what's going on? Yeah, a lot of my thoughts on this are actually driven by Kaiko Research. It's a research team that I brought up on the show a few times. Definitely go check out their newsletter. And they talk about the liquidity in the marketplaces for stablecoins. They talk about stablecoin dynamics, which have certainly shifted over the last six months a lot. Starting off with FTX collapsing in November, we just saw like the liquidity of the general market trend downwards. And then over the last few weeks, what we saw with Signature Bank and also the closure of a few other banks in the crypto sector, leading to a liquidity problem for USDC. You know, there was that weekend, I think two weeks ago now, maybe three weeks ago now, where there was some questions about like, what would USDC do when banks opened on Monday? Were they going to be solvent or not? Were they going to be able to offboard people who wanted to offboard from USDC? Were they going to continue tokenizing dollar reserves? And it turns out that yes, that they had enough banking partnerships, they're able to steer clear and like, keep this thing running. That doesn't mean that you don't have any casualties from the battle though, right? There's going to be some scars. And so far, it seems that people are offboarding from USDC because they probably just don't want the exposure. And we're seeing a few different firms doing that, including some firms like Voyager who are going through Chapter 11. We also had that headline from the FTX Chapter 11 case where they were moving around stable coins. So we didn't quite know if they were trading the stable coin arbitrage trade there or if they were just like offboarding from USDC and minimizing their risk. That being said, the winners here are pretty clear. Tether is a big winner, which of course, like you said, Adam, 
has long been in the scope for a lot of people. A lot of crypto critics have taken shots at Tether and somehow it survives it. But also TUSD, which is another interesting stablecoin. It's now a top five stablecoin. And it's doubled its amount of tokens on Binance because Binance has been saying, hey, maybe use this stablecoin instead of BUSD, which is having its own problems. So really, right now, we're just seeing rotation in stablecoin markets between different products based on how traders and other market participants feel about the security of the investment. Jen, throw it over to you. Yeah, you said kind of what I was going to say. So I think when I look at the stablecoin market, I feel like it's this game of whack-a-mole right now. It's like one stablecoin is on top until something happens that makes it lose its peg. There's something happens with regulation or something's happened with the centralized point of how the stablecoin operates. And so I just feel like we're going to see during this uncertain time, like different stable coins rise and different stable coins maybe fall and take that first, second or th- third space. I wish Zach was on the show because he has brought up that blog post by Arthur Hayes a few times now. And I haven't read it, but from what Zach has told us, it references algorithmic stable coins and the need for algorithmic stable coins to kind of combat the centralized failure that we're seeing with all of these stable coin projects. And so I think that that need is still there, an interesting one. I don't think regulators are going to like it. But Will, like you said, I think that these numbers show that after a few weekends ago, a lot of people who held the majority of their treasuries in USDC were looking to diversify and they went to Tether. Adam? It's an interesting reality that we find ourselves in on this because one of the interesting parts about this is that we don't actually know that Tether didn't have a similar problem. We just know that they didn't have to disclose it (laughs) if they did. It's unlikely that they had this particular problem because they basically haven't been in a position to get a U.S. bank account for a long time. And that is really kind of what the dislocation here was. It was, again, about sort of the failure of a series of U.S. banks. And then people who had deposits in those U.S. banks then became imperiled. It's just interesting, right? It's like the downside of the higher regulation burden seems to mostly be a downside when things go wrong both because you have to disclose things as publicly traded companies that you do not if you're just, you know, tethered wherever the heck they're based. And similarly, again, like we just don't know a bunch of these things. So it's not even necessarily the tether is better. It's just that maybe they didn't have the optical failure that sort of occurred here. And, you know, we'll take the best option as we can see it lacking any additional information. It's a weird dynamic. But the one thing I'm pretty certain about is that algorithmic stablecoins to the extent that they've been deployed so far, probably don't present a solution for this. People are always trying to come up with ways to do stable coins that don't have risk implicit in it. And that just is impossible. You get to kind of squeeze the balloon and decide where you want the risk to be. But so far, so far, Tether has stood up better than really anything else. You can make an argument that MakerDAO is another very kind of solid project as far as this goes. But the list is pretty slim, got to tell you. Yeah, and even to your point, MakerDAO, they have a lot of DAI or a lot of USCC backing DAI in their treasury. It's nearly like 40% at this point. So even these stable coins are built on top of each other. You've been listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.